I'm Tara. I'm Ryan. We love Disney movies. So we decided to watch them all, from Snow White to Frozen 2 and beyond. Each episode, we'll watch a different Walt Disney Animated Studios film and tell you all about it. Did we like it? Does it hold up? Who's our favorite hero? Or villain. We'll give you history and fun facts about each movie. And sometimes, we'll invite our friends to watch along with us. So put on your tiara. Or your evil crown. And join us on our adventure. This is Tara and Ryan's Princess Diaries. Hello, listeners. Hello, listeners. We're talking today about Make Mine Music, or are we? We had a bit of a... A little bit of a switch around this morning. I know. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, Ryan awoke me, listeners, I like to sleep in, uh, and Ryan awoke me to say that it was not on Disney+. Plus. So we should say that at the top of this, that, you know, if, excuse me, you want to watch along uh, and find it, Ryan can tell you where he has found it. So basically, I woke up this morning and... Uh, Set up. We were trying a new setup. Um, as we've mentioned in previous episodes, we've got new equipment. Things are going. We're going through a lot of that stuff. And there's a picture on the Facebook page yes. for those of you who aren't on the page. Well, so as I'm taking the Facebook picture, uh, I'm putting up something in the background. I go, oh, I'll put up Make My Music. That's what we're looking at today. And lo and behold, I find, or rather, not find Make My Music on Disney Plus. And we'll talk a little bit about that today honestly this one was a weird one to find info for i couldn't find a making of i did a couple little deep dives into some other stuff yeah i did some deep dives as well and a lot of my facts i think will make more sense after we've watched it and talk about each of these mm-hmm. uh but to kind of go into it and i'll read the synopsis here let me pull it up on my phone so I'll go into a little bit while, while we're waiting for that. This is another one of the package films um, that, they've, that they made. Uh, specifically, this was meant to, to keep the studio running on a, on a lower budget and to get things out there. I think this one came out after the war, but this was what they did during the war. So Yes, during the war, this was 1946. Yes. So during the war, uh, this was one of four package films. So this is the first one we're going to watch and the ones that were done during wartime. Mm-hmm. And then Fun and Fancy Free then Melody Time, and then The Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad. Mm -hmm. So those were all done during wartime, but of course came out afterwards. And I think we've mentioned this before, but, um, you know, they had less employees. They had less funding, less money for projects. And so that's when they got this idea to do these package films. Mm -hmm. And so um, these four specifically are usually grouped together because they were worked on during the war. And there are a lot of like kind of miniature ideas from earlier things that they didn't flesh out into full features. For example, we're going to talk about the Blue Bayou as yes. one of the features on that. And that was was an idea they had for Fantasia that mm-hmm. they ended up using. For this. Yeah, and the probably, animation from, it was Claire de Lune. Yes, and I think also some of that was going back to, I said this during the Fantasia episode, the idea that they were going to swap out footage every year or so. Yeah. And so the synopsis, the description here, it's very simple. And all it says here is Walt Disney's compilation of 10 animated shorts utilizing the musical talents of such artists as Benny Goodman. And it got a 70% on Rotten Tomatoes. So I believe that that is the lowest so far uh, as we are going movie to movie. And what I wanted to mention here, Benny Goodman is credited. He's not Uh, specifically in the film, but I believe his music is Mm -hmm. used in the film. And the other famous names that I came across that I was excited about because this is kind of my uh, 
genre of expertise for my work. Uh, I share a lot of music from the 40s, the 50s, and in the 30s as well with my clients. Uh, Dinah Shore mm-hmm. appears in this as well as the Andrew Sisters. And so they were two very big names at the time um, and pretty much, you know, on the radio, uh, you couldn't not hear these voices, whether it was on the radio, in films, that sort of a thing. And another voice that I want to talk about more after we watch it is Nelson Eddy. Um, And I did a little bit of a deep dive on him that I'm excited to chat about, but I I would like to save it until after we've watched his part of the short. One of the things I wanted to talk about, one of the things I did a deep dive in this, because like I said, it's very hard to find stuff about this for a couple reasons. Um, I did a little deep dive because this was a time when Walt Disney, the reason they didn't have a lot of a lot of his animators were actually out fighting the war. Uh, the U.S. Uh, military came in and kind of uh, used Walt Disney for propaganda. And uh, when I say propaganda, this was actually a, this will be a, a short movie I watched about Disney propaganda. And there was also a book they referenced called Disney during World War II that uh, I went to go look up on Amazon and is currently for $200 because it's out of print. Mm, There are a couple of those that as we've been researching, I've been looking them up to buy them and I've saved them. But Mm -hmm. yeah, with them being out of print, they are a little pricey. I thought you'd find this interesting. Uh, They were, a lot of their work during World War II was propaganda films and animation and things like that, that were, you know, they had a a movie where they, they readed a bunch of animation from Snow White and had the uh, dwarfs buying bonds or Mm. treasury. And then they had one where it was, they were trying to convince women to save their uh, grease, their like meat grease, because they could use it to make glycerin, which is used in bombs. Mm-hmm. So it was Pluto and Minnie, and it was there was a story about that. Um, going back a little bit before that, I was wondering what was Walt Disney's, you know, deal with the war, and they said that he was. They, they talked about how he really wished he could have fought in the war, and that actually during World War One. He was too young, but he he tried to join the army, and they said you're too young. So he falsified his birth certificate. He was Captain America. Well, he he didn't join the 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 fight, but he did join the Red Cross to drive an ambulance o- around I love France, that. and he drew cartoons on the side of his ambulance. That was how he like personalized it. Yeah, and he wasn't in it for very long because he got in near the end, but he did go do that. Um, the other thing that was interesting going back to the, the propaganda films, which I say propaganda and, and that has a bad connotation here, you know, but it it can also just be like, again, pushing a wartime effort and that thing. And and to say that all our propaganda was good is not true. We had a lot of like bad propaganda dealing with the racial stereotypes of the groups we were fighting and kind of villainize them. But Anyway, so... But if you think Rosie the Riveter and that kind of propaganda, it sounds like Walt Disney's was yes, similar Ro- in Rosie that Rosie the Riveter vein. is a piece of propaganda. Yeah. No, some of it was, they did a whole thing. So one of the ones was Der Fuhrer's Face, which was a Donald Duck feature where he was a Nazi and he worked in a Nazi thing. And oh. it was all the goofy things that happened to him. And then he wakes up at the end and he's in his bedroom with red, white, and blue sheets and a statue of the Statue of Liberty. And he's like, I love being the uh, citizen of the United States of America. That sort of stuff. But when they show... Like the, the the I forgot who led the Japanese Axis powers, but when they show him, it's not a very flattering picture. Got it. Anyway, 
But Donald Duck was in a lot of propaganda for stuff. So much, in fact, that on Donald Duck's 50th birthday, he was made a sergeant of the U.S. Army. Oh, my gosh. And then given an honorable discharge. What? When is he 50? I don't know exactly. It was obviously sometime after that, but it was something on his 50th birthday. They let him know his service was over by honorably discharging him. Oh, that's funny. Um, so that was some fun stuff I looked up. But like I said, this has this this. there's a lot of stuff in this, and it's hard to find. It was hard to find info on it, and I guess now we're finding out why, because it's... One of the movies that I think Walt Disney's trying to distance himself from. Well, I, I don't know that the whole thing is controversial, but there are, you know, they're each their own segment. Mm-hmm. Um, and so some of the segments in this are controversial from what I've read. I think the first one, the Martins and the Coys, which is kind of a Hatfield and McCoy. And also the um, All Cats Join In. I read a lot about yes, the those, jazz one. That the the half the Martins and Coys, which is obviously based on the Hatfields and McCoys, which is a Yeah, Martins Ken, and McCoys. A Kentucky mm-hmm. West Virginia hillbilly feud. Yes. That started because one of the McCoys was fighting for the Union and on his way home he was murdered and the McCoys blamed the Hatfields mm. and then and then and then two of them dated. A very Romeo Juliet situation. Um, it just kind of became, it was like a 30 year feud or something like that I saw on, on Wikipedia. But I think the cartoon has a lot of gunplay and that might be like, I yes. know we've talked about gunplay in these movies before, but we'll see. Yes. So I have that as well. So I'll mention it here. Yeah. Uh, but the Martins and the McCoys, when this was released for VHS and DVD, it was cut. So it wasn't included in the collection because of gunplay mainly because Mm. of gunplay however a few years before they released it to vhs and then later on dvd it was shown on television so they did show it on television in its entirety but then when they did a release of um you know at home video kind of a thing they did cut it out and so i found that interesting that they didn't include it in its entirety and that's one thing uh looking at all these these cartoons is I remember a lot of them from seeing them piecemeal on Disney Channel and things like that. Like as I was looking, I was like, oh, I remember this one. I remember this one. Well, and I haven't seen any images. I usually try to look up interesting facts and trivia, but I try not to go as deep of a dive as Ryan because I don't like things spoiled for me. So the only one right now that comes to mind for me that I know I've seen is Casey at the Bat. You haven't seen Peter and the Wolf? I don't know. Ooh, I their version of Peter the Wolf I is my favorite. I can't recall if it's I've seen it or not. It's what I think of when I think of Peter and the Wolf. Yeah. So I, I may have, but I may need to see it to remember. But Casey at the Bat, I can like vividly picture it. Mm-hmm. I've seen that one a lot. Now, do you know my Casey at the Bat story? Your, like yes, a specific story to you? No. I auditioned for a uh, play in like ninth grade, uh, Little Shop of Horrors. Oh, I do I, know this story. And, yes, yeah, continue. I, yeah. I had never auditioned for anything theater-wise before. I was just excited. I liked the movie and I went, you know what, I'm going to go out for it. And someone said, well, you need to come up with a song. You need to come up with a monologue. So I went, well, I'll theme my song in my monologue. And so it was, I literally sang, take me out to the ball game. And I did Casey at the Bat. Now, Casey at the Bat is a very long poem. Yes. I memorized the whole thing start to finish. And I got maybe. That's very impressive. Well, I only got about two stanzas in before they went, perfect, next. And I was yeah. like, oh, I could do more. And they're like, no, no, keep going. And after I got to know those teachers, one time I was just sitting there and I was like, I memorized the whole thing. Everyone was, I didn't know any of the theater kids before, but they'd kind of gotten to know me. And I swear I sat there at one point and just <laughs> read the whole thing. I was like, here it is. Yeah. You know, it wasn't great, but like, it was just funny to me that, you know, 
I didn't get to do the whole thing. Um, I have a baseball story, not Casey at the bat, but I don't know that you know this about me. Uh, but in high school, we would do cabarets at high school, but we also did um, cabarets at a church that some of us attended as well as um, some of us were in the choir and that sort of a thing. And it may have been a fundraiser. I can't remember. But it was very similar to what we would do at the high school where, you know, people would come up with monologues or um, perform a song from a play or a musical, mm-hmm. that kind of a thing. And so uh, with my friend Crystal, we did Who's On First. So oh, I, I actually you have, have memorized Who's On First. And it's funny because as we were doing it, you get caught in that loop. And so sometimes... You don't know the out. You don't, yeah, you, you, if you, if you miss like one of the next lines to go on. So I just remember rehearsing it and being like, well, we may have done this twice through and sometimes you don't know. And I remember <laughs> it went well, but, um, that was, that's like my baseball connection. Cause I didn't play baseball. Mm. Uh, but that was, that's something I always remember. So as you were telling that Casey at the bat story, it reminded me of that. Um, do we have anything else we want to go on before we hit this movie? I think most of it's going to be more interesting once you've sat and watched it, we can, and once we watched it and kind of are able to talk a little bit more. Yeah, about it. I don't want to just list off things about each segment mm-hmm. uh, without seeing it and being able to describe it for you as well. I think the information will make more sense not only to us, like you said, but also to the listeners as mm-hmm. well. And so with that, listeners, we'll see you on the other side. Are back guys and... that was quite a journey both through the many many shorts we saw and also just 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 getting it to happen we had to find how we had to watch them uh... peter and the wolf in 10 separate parts and all of it is on youtube so if you are curious you can search for them i think the best way we found them was searching for make mine music and oh. then the title of each short i'll post them Okay. Like, so, I don't have a problem posting them. If, if there's some sort of dispute, copyright-wise, they'll take down the, the video. I see. Okay. Yeah, and I've got details on each one. I think some of them weren't to go into more detail than others, so I'll kind of just take it one by one. Mm-hmm. And the first one is The Martins and the Coys, uh, and it is titled A Rustic Ballad, and it is The Kingsmen Sing. So they are the singers in this one. And this is absolutely the reason this one's not on Disney+. Plus. Probably, yes. Yes, because yeah. it is gun It's very happy. gun heavy, but I will say I really enjoyed it. Oh, yeah. I think you and I, I think if you get a chance to watch this and you're an adult, like it's a funny, it's a funny bit. Yeah. The whole idea is. So two houses open on a, on two separate hills separated by a valley. So that's how it opens up. Probably like what? Like 50 feet apart? Maybe, yeah, yeah. But they're both these very high hills and there's one house on each hill and you see hillbilly sleeping on both sides. Uh, and Well, not only sleeping, sleeping with their guns, firing their guns yes, off in their when sleep. Yes, when they hear one of them a is, sound. One of them is asleep under a moonshine still. And that is Grandpa, because yes. then what happens is Grandpa is full of Mountain Dew, full of moonshine. 
and he goes down in the valley and up to the other hill to steal eggs from the McCoys. So Grandpa's part of the Martins. And the animation of him holding all the eggs in his beard, I loved. It was so funny. So he's holding all these eggs in his beard, and then that's when they find out he's come over to steal the eggs, and that starts this great fight between the two. just guns being fired, shooting at each other, and then... They all die. Yeah, so they're shooting across the valley, and the smoke clears, and the houses are burned down. And then all of a sudden, all these ghosts of the hillbillies start floating up to the sky, and that's how you find out that they've all died. And they float up to clouds, but they're each on an individual cloud, similar to how they were in the houses. So all the McCoys are on one cloud, all the Martins are on the other cloud, and they're looking down. They each have one more descendant left and i don't remember who's on martin was a maiden and she's grace and mccoy is the only man and he's henry and now we're gonna get into one of my big problems with most of make mine music especially talking about female agency the the man i forgot the man's name henry henry is drawn just like a complete doofus just like a goofy cartoon character Mm -hmm. and meanwhile grace is like she's drawn a bombshell a bombshell which is from this era and i've got a note or two about the animation for another short that talks about where they think that influence came from right so but it's it's i thought this would have been funnier if she would have been like a just tall like like a lanky goofy a female looking version hillbilly. of Paul yeah. Bunyan essentially well just a female version of Henry Paul like Bun- just yeah. a goofy looking person yeah I would agree with but that but instead it was just this very male gazy and uh but he sees her silhouette and he starts floating in love and I wrote it's like Bambi they're laying in the flowers he and they're both twitter painted in the face by love I think he, is how they put it yeah and so um all of the ghosts of the Martins and the McCoys are so mad. angry that then they make it rain and thunder and lightning because they're, up in they're the all up on two clouds that yes. are separated by about the same space that their houses were. Yes. And so then I like this phrase. It says, the hatchet was buried when they were married. Yes. And so it cuts to a just married sign on their coach, on their car. And kind of and a you, long, most of the thing is, I'd say about half of the thing is just the reception. Yeah, of you go into a church, which is their reception, and it's like a hoedown. It's a square was, dance. Was it a and church or was it a barn? It I don't said remember. church on the, oh, okay. it, it had a title on the it top. It looked like yeah. a barn. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's a square dance and... Ryan was like, who are all these people? Yeah. Because all of their family members have died. So I, I we're assuming, I guess it's the townspeople yeah. who are celebrating with them. And maybe they're celebrating that the feud is over. Who knows? Well, is the feud over? Well, that's the thing. Because then you cut to them on this, in this cute little house that when it eventually zooms out, you realize the house is in the valley, which is in between the two, the two original territories. Original territories. And... You see her, you never see her face, but you see her like kick him out of the house. And, and throw stuff. You and see all this stuff coming stuff. out. And then he out. winds up his fists. Like he's going to go like back he's in gonna and go punch back her. And punch her. But then her arm is out and he r- runs into her arm, Which, her fist instead. I'm not so sure about like him winding up to, to clobber Yeah, her. no, that wasn't great. But I did like <laughs> that it wound up being her that hits him instead of him. Not that that's great either, but. And then all the ghosts are happy again on and their And cheering clouds. and basically saying that the feud is not done. Yes. And that's kind of how it ends. Like they zoom out and you see the houses in the valley. So this, I think, like we said, is the reason why this isn't on uh, Disney Plus, which is interesting because this whole entire thing could easily be put on piecemeal. 
and there's ones that in fact are then later we'll talk about this later but are used as silly symphonies i've seen most of these i've seen most of these um from just in piecemeal on on disney like they would just show a little bit little like peter and the wolf and i do think ones. disney plus could put them on individually yeah i'm i'm, I'm kind of shocked or it, it, the thing that bothers me is that they're willing to put on uh racist portrayals with a warning but they're not willing to put this on with a warning and i also don't think there's anything in here that's worse than like per se pinocchio. Who, who framed roger rabbit yeah which or is think on there. about pinocchio with hit this more smoking and tobacco than it was guns but still i mean th- and it, i think they're trying to be a kid's uh family friendly net, uh, friendly yeah. net- platform but where they draw their lines is a little weird to me yeah because again at the end of the day this was one of the more enjoyable yes ones. it was one of the more the enjoyable it's politically ones. incorrect yeah but it's it's worth watching just to watch to it. And it we'd out. love to hear your opinions. As yeah. always, um, if there are any of these you check out, be sure to drop us an email or Facebook message um, and let us know what you think yeah. about them because they're all pretty open-ended, I think. Do you have fairy tale facts for this one? Uh, I do not, no. Okay. Well, then let's rate it. Do you... What do you think? I liked this one. I liked it too. I did. I like. I came away from it like laughing. I, you know, when all the ghosts started floating, I was like, "Oh my goodness, they yeah, died!" Yeah, it's, it's dark. Uh, but I came away from it enjoying it. It's it's dark, but it's comedic. Like yes. everything that's goofy and I think is that's definitely. That's what I enjoyed about yeah. it. All so right. the next one up is Blue Bayou, and my first thought was thinking about um, Ryan and I have not been to Disneyland, but we listened to. Uh, podcast the ride uh, we shout them out a couple times and probably will continue to do so they're a fantastic podcast uh, but they talk about the blue bayou restaurant um, a good amount of times on their podcast mm-hmm. and so it got me thinking oh i wonder if that's you know any connection to the name but the blue bayou is also a bayou in louisiana and because it's is it new orleans square yes in uh, disneyland in disneyland so we're assuming it's not connected to this but i mm-hmm. was just that's where my first thought went so it is a tone poem with the Ken Darby chorus. It is the one that is uh, was originally created for a deleted Claire de Lune sequence in Fantasia. Yes. I think I said that before. Yeah, I think I we mentioned that earlier. Uh, and the first thing I noticed is it was very reminiscent of Bambi uh, because of the multiplane camera. Yes, angles. it definitely does that. It's bringing you in through the bayou and everything's coming at you at different Yeah, and rates. it's in blue hues and it's really beautiful and it's in the evening because it keeps going up to the full moon. I will say the version we found on YouTube, the <laughs> video quality is very low. So yes. I have a feeling the animation is probably much better than what we watched. We also watched one that was not in English at first and we kind of listened to it and I go, I don't think this is supposed to be in a different language yeah, before and we so went we out and changed so, uh, We did that a couple times. That's just a disclaimer. Or I don't know if a disclaimer, maybe a tip. Uh, uh, if you are going to search for these, you are going to find a lot yep. of versions that might not be correct. And again, if you're searching for them, check out the Facebook page, yeah. uh, page or the Twitter screen. Uh, we'll have them up. But I will Twitter say this, re- this one was beautiful. It was I nice. thought a blue hues, and then you come on to an egret, and he's walking across the water, and he's flying, and the ripples in the water, and the water sparkles, and uh, you know, it's kind of this just very kind of you know, you follow his journey right yeah through the there's evening not of the really bayou. a narrative um yeah he's you know he's walking across the water and then eventually he meets another egret i keep saying he but it could be a she that we come yeah. across for upon first they fly up into the air and they fly up to the moon and my note was it's kind of slow and sleepy but it was also short so you know it was kind of kind of just takes you through this bayou but that's pretty much all i have for this mm-hmm. one 
I don't have a lot for it either. So I, I liked it. I, mean, I liked it. I don't know that I would watch it again simply because it's just. Yeah. You know, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't reach for it just because it's a, it's, a, it's a slow song and it's basically mm-hmm. just a music video. But did you like it? Yeah. Yeah, okay. it was nice. Um, the, next the next one, one is the one that also was controversial and more so when it came out. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is All the Cats Join In. It's a jazz interlude. Uh, and it's Benny Goodman's orchestra on this one. And so it opens on a sketchbook. And what I liked about this one, uh, it's kind of hard to describe the whole thing. We'll talk about the, a little bit of the story with it. But the sketchbook, everything is drawn as it's happening, which We've, is really neat. We talked a little bit about this, I think, in either Saludos Amigos or Three Caballeros or maybe yes. both. But I like this style I of do too. cartoon. I like when the artist is like a character. Yeah, is part of it. And this one wasn't so much he was messing with the kids, but it was like they were su- in such a hurry. It's basically... Well, we ki- didn't... Yeah, we didn't okay. get to this story it's yet. these so. kids who are getting together, essentially, and going to a sock hop or a, yeah. cho- uh, 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 malt, it's shop. a malt shop. So basically, there's a boy at a jukebox. And he is looking for money to call, I'm assuming, his girlfriend or a friend that's a girl. Mm -hmm. And so then you follow the telephone lines and it goes to her house. And he's playing her the music to be like, you need to come down here. And she's babysitting or looking after her younger sister. Yeah, it looks like her younger sister. And then the part that keeps trying to get involved. Yeah, the part that becomes controversial, and I've got some notes on this after we finish describing it, Mm -hmm. um, is she goes to get ready. So she jumps in the shower and it's a silhouette. First you see like an outline kind of of her naked figure and then there's the silhouette of her in the shower and then she jumps out and clothes get thrown on her. Mm-hmm. Um, which I didn't actually find. I thought it was fine. I had no real issue with it. I thought the centaurettes were more controversial than this. Yeah, like, this is just a real quick... Yeah, I didn't mind it and it made sense. She's getting dressed. She's putting on makeup. Her little sister is trying to put on makeup with her and like trying to get dressed with her. And she runs out the door, and there's somebody waiting for her in a car, and then they go around town. Well, that's the thing, is they're not really... It's, well, yes, it's The being car drawn. is being drawn yes, behind yes, them, yes. and they take off in the car, and you see the pencil, like, follow it. Yeah. And then it draw, it gets ahead of it and draws a stoplight that's right. so that it yeah. can finish the car, mm-hmm. which that's the kind of stuff I found really amusing in this. Yeah, and so they pick up all these other friends, and so the car is full with... Uh, youths, uh, youths. With, with, with youths and they head to the malt shop and it's Bobby Soxers so as Ryan mentioned so everybody is dancing and the guy working at the malt shop is making up Sundays and I don't know if you noticed there was a little American flag at the top of the Sunday I didn't notice that yes yeah, so that was in like the top which I thought was just a little nod as they're um, doing these during wartime and uh, the one thing that neither one of us was a huge fan of but saw oh, coming is everybody is drawn kind of very curvy, all the women. And then they're drawing everybody and then their dance partners. And they draw this one guy and they draw his dance partner and they draw her rear end. Her rear end is much larger than any other lady's rear end. Yes. And then she looks down at it and she's very upset. And then, he... well, first he's upset, which that's the part. I mean, when she looked at yeah. it, she kind of like puts her hands on her hips. Yeah. That's kind of funny. But like when he's like, I'm not dancing with her, she's got a big bottom. I was like, all right. Yeah. And then the, you see the eraser come in and it yes. erases her. But. To be honest, her figure is more real to what yeah. my, the original figure before she gets erased. Like, I think it would have been funny if they drew her with, like, a squiggly butt. Yeah, so or like it wasn't of, like, defined. Look, she's got a big yeah, butt. it's it was like, just, like, part was, of the drawing that was wasn't finished. It was a pencil finished. mistake. Yeah, it was, yeah. like, unfinished. Um, I think, yeah, you could have gotten the same laugh mm-hmm. out of it. Um, but, and mm-hmm. then you, they just, that's kind of it. That's it. And they dance, they kick out a dancing. square guy with a ukulele who's, yeah. like, trying to sing the song. <laughs> 
Uh, but what I have for this one is the term cats, when it's all the cats join in, uh, was from the word, I don't know how to say it. H- Hepcat. Hepcat, thank you. Uh, which is associated with the jazz culture. Mm-hmm. So that's where that comes from. And then it's, it's similar to calling someone a hipster now. Yes, which granted, it says a synonym being a hipster. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the other thing going... You apparently read the same article I did. Uh, yeah, it seems like <laughs> it. Uh, the scenes that were censored in recent releases were the brief moments of nudity that we mentioned. And here I read it said it focused on feminine parts, which I disagree with. I don't think it focused, maybe with There's her butt, but like in the scenes in the shower, I don't think there was any one part of her that was Apparently if you on. slow it down, like... You can really see but it. But again, it doesn't look any... The, the, the centaurettes in Fantasia are more... I thought they were more sexual. Is that the right yeah. word? I think. I think in general, it's funny because I think sexualized is the word I was looking for. This, but I don't know that that to me, and again, this is my opinion. It's all I've got. Um, seemed less of a male gaze sexualization yes. for the most part than uh, the hillbilly woman. The even the hat coming up. If yeah. th- these women felt like they were getting prettied up to go dance because they wanted to get prettied up to go dance. Yeah, not and, and I had no problems with the shower scene. Here, I also read that um, the it's production. So fast. Yeah, the production code administration thought it violated the Hayes Code. And so I looked up what the Hayes Code was, and essentially that was the motion picture code. Mm-hmm. So it was a set of industry moral guidelines for self-censorship of content that was applied to most United States motion pictures released by major studios. So that was from 1934 to 1968. So they felt that it violated this code. So yeah. that's why it's been censored in some of the releases. And then there was an animation historian... Sean Griffin, I think is his name. And he felt that the images were indicative of um, kind of what was going on in the changes in the in the 40s culture. Yes. So those cheesecake posters and the popular animated shorts with sexy images by Ted Avery. Tex Avery. Tex Avery, excuse me. So that's the that's a lot of the stuff The Mask was based off of, the movie The Mask. Like yeah. The wolf who goes and sees Red Riding Hood sing at a club mm-hmm. and he's like, oh! And yeah. his heart's coming out of his chest and all that. And so they said that Disney, Disney, Walt Disney and Walt Disney Studios were influenced by this trend. And you kind of see that trend fade. Like it doesn't stay, it doesn't stick around for a very long time, but it is in this era. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really see a lot of that in this one. So it was interesting that they used it in this one to make that statement. But I do understand what they're yeah. saying. And I do think the animators were influenced by it. But this one offended me the Way least. Way less, yeah. Yeah. I liked this one. Yeah, I liked this it one a lot. It was kind of fun. Again, I think you're going to find that we like a lot of these, but at the same time, I don't know that we'd watch this whole thing again. This one I might watch again. Like, on its own, I would probably yeah, yeah, watch yeah. this one I again. I think it's a fun It's a fun song, and it's it's a fun music video for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what's the next one? I Without don't... You is a ballad in blue, and it is Andy Russell doing the singing. Is this the one looking out the window? Mm-hmm. So Andy Russell, uh, I did look him up because he had a really crooner style voice, uh, but it was kind of a little Latin influenced song, like some of the rhythm. And he sang in an English and Latin style. He's of Mexican descent and he was known for a version of Besame Mucho and um, several other recordings. So that's kind of the background on him. Mm -hmm. So he was somewhat popular uh, when this came out. 
This is similar to Blue Bayou, and then it's just the, the the image seems to be he's looking out the window, lamenting. Yeah, so it opens lost. it opens on a dark room, and you see this window that's very bright, and over to the corner there is a table with a love letter on it, and mm. so he's kind of lamenting about what the love letter says in it, and when he looks out the window, and it's you don't see a person; it's us looking out the window. It's a it's from a his point perspective, of view, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, rain is falling, and again, the quality of the video was low, so at first it was hard to tell that there was water falling on we, the window. We couldn't tell if the uh, frame, the, the, the resolution had dropped, or it was just yeah. blurry. But it reveals a weeping willow, and it does it in lots of different colors, and then the leaves fall off the weeping willow, and then it turns to go up to the sky, and you see all the bright stars in the sky, but there's one star that's brighter than the rest, and the lyrics um, kind of follow that animate the animation follows the the narrative story of the lyrics with that one bright star and then you go back to the night sky and then there's bare trees in the landscape so there's no leaves on the trees and it goes from kind of dark of night of bears just to make sure yes so it goes (laughs) from dark of night um to these blue like a more dark blue to like pink hues which i thought was really pretty and then we focus we come back into focus into the room focusing on the window and the rain falling and one of the last things you see is the bright star out the window so i thought imagery wise i thought it was really interesting that it followed the lyrics i didn't seem that you cared for this one too much no um, but I, I seem to have followed it a lot more than you did. Here's the thing. You, you say the imagery did, and I think it was a good imagery for this song, but at the same time, I don't feel that this song, like you could have changed out the song and it, it, this could work for a lot of sadder songs. Do you know what I'm saying? Yes. Yeah. I just didn't think it, it, it was fine. I enjoyed it. I, I liked that you followed the story with the animation, so well, it's also funny because I feel like at the end of every one of these, when I was looking for the next YouTube video, Tara was like, okay. <laughs> Not on this one. This one I actually liked. But yeah, when we get to some of the ones coming up here. But... Well, here's the one that you were looking forward to, the, the one coming up next, if we're, if we're good with this one. Yeah. It was Casey at the Bat, which... So it's one that I thought I remembered, and I do remember it, watching it, but there was a sequel with Casey and his daughters. Casey Bats again in 1954. Yes, and that one is the one I think I know more. Which again, I think those those women were drawn more like uh, all the cats join yes. in than than some of the more. Uh, but in Casey at the Bat, it's a musical rec- recitation. Recitation. Recitation, and it's by Jerry Colonna. Uh, is the the gentleman? Well, that's who's saying it. Who's it's a, reciting it. It's originally based on a poem written in. Oh, I have all that. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. By Ernest Thayer. Uh, yes, it's Casey at the Bat, a ballad of the Republic. Sung in the year 1888. So that's mm-hmm. the entire title. And it's Ernest Thayer. And I really, after watching this, encourage people to go and find this. It's a really good read. And I think it's a really, really good, does a great job of making it. it, it it's very baseball-esque. Even to this day, it really holds up, I think. The way it was performed, I'm not 100% sure I agree with. Yeah. The added stuff was a little, the added so lyrics. So in the beginning, uh, you're just seeing stills and they're just drawings of people getting ready to go to the baseball park. And, and they're singing part the, that's not in the actual yes, poem. Yes, and one of the lines is, ladies don't understand baseball a bit. So well, it was, yeah, ladies, was don't, ladies don't understand baseball a bit. They can't tell the difference between a strike, run, or hit. Like yes. it was, the whole, most of the first part was, 
ain't dames dumb like it was so bad (laughs) yeah so i was really thrown off by that and so i wasn't really focusing on it so much in the beginning uh but essentially you come into this baseball game and it's four to two and uh the mudville nine versus the Burbank. That's what it said. And like we said, we couldn't really see it because it was cropped very it was cropped strangely. weird again because of the video we were watching. But Burbank was to refer to where Walt Disney Studios is located. Mm-hmm. Uh, so first up is uh, a mustachy guy. Uh, and his mustache gets tangled in the bat as he goes to hit. Well, first there's the two guys who get out. And they're, oh, go- yes. they're up and down. And it's all about them getting struck out. And then you've got the... And the coach is yelling, and he's got a lot of chest hair. And he's very tiny. Yes. And then you've got the mustache guy where his mustache gets tangled in the bat, but he gets on base. And I think his name was Flint. And then the next guy, the umpire, like, puts a match in his foot and lights it. I think that was the catcher. Oh, okay. Because that's our old hot foot thing they oh, used to I do in old cartoons. Yeah. So he does that, and so then he's distracted by that, but he hits the ball so hard that it blew the cover off the ball, which is part of the poem right yeah yeah all the stuff that the the narrator is saying for the most part is is actually from the poem yeah so when he hits the ball so now they're both on base and the umpire gets very angry at this point and now casey is at bat and all the ladies are fawning over casey and so in love with him and I noticed Casey had a really tiny waist, too. Casey was drawn... He skipped leg day a lot. Well, he was drawn very (laughs) similar to busty ladies. Like, his chest was very... He was the Dorito shape, you know? Yeah, he looked like even more of a caricature than uh, the the Martin. Yes, I would agree. Yeah, the Martin looked a little bit more real to life. From the the first... The gentleman. Well, his feet looked ridiculous. They all had, like, giant feet. But, uh... So the pitcher's knees are knocking and he's so nervous and the crowd is going crazy. And uh, Casey strikes out the first time. And when he strikes out, a woman then says, kill the umpire. No, no, no. He, he gets, he, when you strike out, you're done. Oh, I'm sorry. There was a strike. It's the first Speaking strike. of ladies that don't know baseball. Now, hold on. Uh, You've been to a lot of baseball games. <laughs> I have that been. was just I a just, slip of the tongue. My terminology. Yes. Give uh, yourself much more credit than you just did. So he gets his... Strike one. Strike one. And Which a lady, he lets go by because it's not his style. Yeah. And a lady <laughs> says, kill the umpire. And she takes her sharp hairpin out and is like. And like jabs it in the air. Headed towards the umpire. And Casey says, no, 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 no. There's no need to do any of that. That seemed to shock you. And I was kind yeah, of like. Yeah. I just was like. It just seemed a little too aggressive for just one strike happening. I, well, I also think. Well, A, I think that's the. The, the fervor of the crowd he's trying to create in the poem. And I think that's an actual line from the poem. I even see. though it was said by the woman. Okay. And, and not the narrator. Okay. And so then uh, the second strike, Casey is reading a police gazette that's got a oh. very busty lady on the front of this now, did you, newspaper. Now, did you look up anything with police gazette, what that meant? No, I didn't look it looked, up anything. Yeah, it was just like a girly magazine, but, but I've was, never heard the term. But it said police gazette. It looked like a newspaper. Tell you what. It, it, well, it looked like... It looked like uh, Playboy. Like old Playboys where it's, you know, it was more... I wouldn't know, listeners. It looks like what people have told me old Playboys look like. <laughs> um, uh, so Ryan's going to look that up, but then... Not old Playboys. I'm going to look up Police Gazette. Yes. Just let's get that straight. Uh, so then, you know... Oh, it's an actual magazine. Oh, interesting. The National Police Gazette, commonly referred to simply as the Police Gazette, was an American magazine founded in 1845. 
under publisher blah, blah, blah. it became a forerunner of the men's lifestyle magazine the illustrated go. sports weekly the girly pinup magazine the celebrity gossip well, column here we guinness are. world record style competitions and modern tabloid and sensational journalism all right so we were not far off in uh, guessing what here's, it was here's the oh that's better than what his was i feel I mean, his was a full body, like just an hourglass looking woman, but yeah. it was still kind of shocking and out there for a Disney cartoon. Yeah, so he's reading that, and that's the second strike. Right. So that goes by, and then he starts gritting his teeth, and we notice he's got one gold tooth. And the which gritting I thought, sound yeah. was rough. <laughs> and so then he goes to hit the ball the third time, and then we go to birds singing in the park, and there are kids playing, and there's like a marching band at a gazebo, and everything is like. There is no joy in Mudville. Yes. Everything is all rosy. And then we go back to Mudville. And Mighty Casey has struck out. And it is pouring rain. And he's so angry. And he's alone. Everyone has left. The game is done. He struck out. And he's like hitting a bunch of baseballs and trying to run. And just he's very upset with himself. And that's how it ends. What did you think about this one? It was fine. I, it was okay. I don't think it really held up in the way I wanted it to. Yeah, I cared for it less. I love that poem, and I really, really encourage everyone to go. And maybe we'll do a bonus episode where Ryan recites the poem. Who knows? I mean, I don't think I did very well. I think if I'd <laughs> been allowed to continue on that poem, it would just have had the same rhythm. Like, look, I, that was my first and last audition as an actor. <laughs> so, uh, Yeah, this is one that I don't need to watch again. Nope. Yeah. I, I think some of the visuals stick in my mind, like what Casey looks like and stuff like that. But yeah. there was so much over-the-top Looney Tunes action. I think and that's I thought, why I liked it as a kid. And I thought I was going to be more nostalgic for it because I remember it as a kid. Mm-hmm. But I also remember the second one. Uh, we did not watch the second one in this viewing. But I, I am going to watch we the We might check it out one. after this and let you guys know. Yeah, because I think I remember that one a little bit more talking about all his daughters. So the next one is Two Silhouettes. And it is Dinah Shore who is singing it. And it's a ballad ballet. And I have an interesting fact about this Well, one. I have a question, Tara. Can you tell me the names of the two uh, baller- ballerinas in it? I have their... Uh, yeah, I'm not going to pronounce their <laughs> no, names. No, no, no. Right. Let's just give it a shot. You know, listeners, it's really not fun when I get me... <laughs> When I poke fun of on on the air it's, here, it's more of just but you I, want me to try because no, I'm gonna let kill me, it too. I just have to find my note on it. David Lynching and Tatian Ryabushninska. <laughs> it's it's Ryabut. I'm gonna look it up and see if it has a pronunciation on it. Uh, I know I didn't say them nope, right. No, it certainly does not. However. These two are famous mm-hmm. in the la- the land of Disney because they are the same dance models for the hippo and the alligator. No kidding. Mm-hmm. So from Fantasia. So these are the same two. And so they're used as silhouettes in this one. This one is a rotoscoped uh, uh, yes. segment. Rotoscoping basically means doing animation over film. So they filmed these two and then they drew over it. They've done it. They, they did it a little, you know... A little bit in Snow White, they try to do some of it, but they've kind of Disney kind of moves away from it. But this was a perfectly interesting feature the way they were doing this stuff because um, I thought it looked cool. I thought it, yeah, it was an I animated loved... background, and then they were in front of it, and they did some kind of stylized stuff with the the way their shapes were, and they had yeah. Like... What I really liked is it opens and you see a heart, but the heart becomes two cherubs. So again, like that focus on a silhouette where it's a mm-hmm. heart, but then it's two, pe- it's two and individuals. The ch- and the cherubs are animated. They're not rotoscope. Yeah. And then it opens, they open the gate, this heart gate to the two dancers. And mm-hmm. those are the silhouettes. 
And for most of it, they're just dark silhouettes. They're black silhouettes and they're dancing while flowers are floating and the cupids come in and out of it and dance with them. They kind of dance through nature. Uh, I call them cupids, the cherubs. I kept referring to them as cupids. I know they're the same thing. Well, I I just want to do the same explanation I told you, which is like Dracula is a vampire. Cupid is a cherub. Like it's the same way yeah. like that. Uh, but you know, so they're dancing. One of them dances with the ballerina and she like goes up to the sky and is kind of dancing in the stars and it's really beautiful. And then when she comes back down um, to join him, the lighting on their silhouettes changes for a little bit to where they've got shadow with lighting, mm-hmm. which I really enjoyed a lot. And then it goes back to just the solid black silhouettes as it ends. And you end with, the cherubs closing the gate and then coming back to being a mm-hmm. heart. Uh, I really liked it. I thought it was really beautifully done. And also I think the reason I enjoyed it more was knowing that those two ballerinas were the models for Fantasia. And we loved the hippo and the alligator so much uh, that it was kind of a ni- neat connection. I looked at it a lot. Uh, I looked at it a lot in the same vein as the blue bayou which i keep wanting to call the blue danube but that's not it yeah the blue bayou and that like yes it was very beautiful i thought it was very well done i don't know that i'd watch this one again yeah it might not be one that i would immediately be like i want to watch it but i thought it was enjoyable and it's worth checking out mm-hmm. all right so i'm just making sure listeners i don't have any other notes there and i don't okay the next one Peter and the Wolf. Yes. So, this is the one we had the hardest time watching because we couldn't find it in full on YouTube. I was shocked we couldn't find it in full on YouTube. And the version we ended up with, we were able to find all the parts together, but it is someone filming the television. This is one I'm shocked is not on Disney Plus as its own little... Because they have little silly symphonies and merry melodies that are... or no, merry melodies might be Looney Tunes, but they have their own silly symphonies up there on their own you can watch them just in collections or in little things and this is perfect for that and honestly this may have been I, this was quite possibly my favorite one of the whole thing and i'll go into why here in a second yeah if you give so the narrator synopsis. uh the narrator is our famous voice winnie the pooh sterling holloway and uh, stork from dumbo yes yeah, stork from dumbo and many other voices that we'll hear along the way and so they introduce you to all the characters in this and the instruments that are associated with them. So Peter is the string quartet. And the animation is animated as instruments and music notes as as well as like showing you each character. So mm-hmm. the animation of Peter and the animals. So the bird is Sasha and that's the flute. And Ryan made a very uh, interesting observation that I agreed with that the bird looks like the weirdo bird from... Not Saludos Amigos. Three Caballeros. Three Caballeros. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, so, so, yeah, so it is a distant cousin, I yes. think. Wearing a... Uh, a, a, a top hat. Well, a Russian... I don't know what it's called, but oh, it's a yes. Russian hat. This yes. one is interesting because it's very... It's obviously... It's it's written by uh, Sergei Prokofiev? Prokofiev, I think. Prokofiev? Something like that. Regardless, it's written by a Russian composer, and so it's very pro-Russian, especially at a time when they were our allies. You know, very quickly after this, I think, is when they we the Cold War kind of starts kicking up and that sort of stuff. But right now, this is right this is during World War II, so we're all very pro-Russia. So yes. it's, it's it's interesting to see. There's a, there's a part where the bird writes wolf in the in the snow, and the narrator goes W O L F. Well, all the signs are in Russian. It's too, in Russian. In the yeah, yeah, yeah. So next we have the duck, and that's Sonia, and she is referenced by the oboe. And then we meet the cat, Ivan, who is the clarinet. And then I believe it's just Grandpa, but Winnie the Pooh says Grandpapa. I don't know if he's referred to as Grandpapa in all the versions of this or not, 
uh, but he is an old bassoon. Uh, and then the hunter's guns are represented by the kettle drum, and then the wolf is represented by um, kind of a variety of instruments. So uh, we did notice that the animation with the wolf was very, very scary. He's, and you continue to see him. He is very intimidating and very scary along the way. One of the things I thought was really good about this, and I'm wondering, have you seen Peter and the Wolf outside of this? No, which I'm sure will be shocking to people who know me because of my background, but no, I have not. Well, we not. found a David Bowie uh, record where he's narrating it. And I remember I, growing up, I had a narration of it. Um, but my question is, when they do this live, is there a narrator? Is he a part of the story? Or is like the original presentation of this narrator free? I believe there is a narrator, but I don't want to be quoted on that. Yeah. Um, but I believe there is a narrator that guides you through the story. Chris, if you're listening, help us out here. Yeah. I should know. I just don't. I don't think I've ever seen it performed. No, I've never seen it performed. Mm. So we kind of open uh, with Peter and wanting to hunt the wolf, and he's got this little pop gun, and Grandpa basically smacks him on the bottom and is basically like, no, no, you can't go out there. Um, you know, we open, I guess I should say we open into this cabin that it has very like a Russian style in the way it's animated and the colors of it. And so he's kind of reprimanding him and telling him he can't go hunt the wolf. And then as he falls asleep, uh, Peter takes the gun from him and goes anyway. And so now we are following Peter on his adventure into the snow. And the first of the animals he meets, he meets the animals, um, in the order that they're introduced in the beginning. So he meets Sasha first, and the bird wants to join. And then he meets Sonia the duck, and when they come upon Sonia, her shadow looks like the wolf. So at first they think she's the wolf, and they're pretty scared, and she wants to join the party. And she starts imagining hunting the wolf, and she gets very scared of her imagination of what the wolf's going to do and what it looks like along the way. And then we meet Sneaky Ivan the cat, uh, and one thing I should mention here, we're referring to all these animals by name. In the original, the animals don't have names. So that's just something to note here. That's something Disney did, but they don't have names. It's very strange. I don't know why, but when I remember Ivan like watching this, I remember him as Gideon from Pinocchio or looking more like Gideon. And he's not at all. Like I was waiting for Gideon to come out. Yeah. And he looks completely different. He acts completely different. Well, and uh, they describe him as shy on brains. And he, st <laughs> he comes like slinking through the grass and he starts chasing Sasha, chasing the bird all around. And Peter tells them to stop fighting. And the duck uh, says he's a cat in the grass. And so they're all kind of getting worked up as the cat is coming in and they kind of work it out. And they keep marching in the snow to find the wolf. Do you, hold on one sec. Do you think he felt shy on brains? That's interesting because they did present him as he's a dummy and blah 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 but he felt very sly like when he's helping catch the wolf later i thought the duck seemed shy on brains yeah it is interesting but yeah the narrator described him yeah i would agree with you on that that the cat seemed more cunning like more like what cats are depicted as mm -hmm. in other animations and things um but they do come upon the wolf and the wolf when they zoom in on him his eyes are like bright yellow and red and he's got these sharp teeth and the drool that they animate in almost every scene that the wolf is in he's got drool dripping from his mouth and so the wolf is not goofy no the wolf is very scary, scary. and everyone's scared and the pop gun peter uses the pop gun it basically like pops the nose of the wolf and does nothing mm -hmm. and so the first one the wolf chases down is sonia the duck and he eats the duck and so all that's left is a feather and the duck's footprints in the snow. 
And so everyone is upset and crying, and we watch uh, Sonia go to the pearly gates with a halo. And that's... Which, which they draw wings on a duck. Yes. But her arms are her wings. Yeah, so yeah. So they're double-winging her. So they're double-winging her. Uh, and then next, Sasha is so upset that um, the wolf ate Sonia that Sasha goes after the wolf, the bird. And so then you're seeing this whole scene with the bird and the birds in his mouth. And then that's where uh, the bird leaves his hat in his mouth. And it's like this whole sequence of going back and forth with the wolf. And then as that's happening, Peter is, I think, up in a tree. And he's got rope that the cat has down below. And this is the part Ryan's talking about. He's lowering the cat. And the cat's got the other end of the rope. And he's going to rope Try it around the tail. Try to tie it around the tail of the wolf, which eventually they do. And um, the bird gets away and hears the hunters or sees the hunters, something you, you like that. You hear the hunters coming because this is all about audio. So they yeah. hear the, the, like, they have a theme on top of the kettlebells whenever the the guns go off. Because anytime they're surprised, yeah, anytime their kettlebells are uh, weightlifting, mm-hmm. um, anytime they're, they're disturbed or surprised, they fire off their guns and kind of look around. This one, again, has more guns in it, but didn't really Not bother really, me nearly though. as much as the other I ones. I mean, yes, but... And so the hunters... Uh, the bird tells the hunters about the wolf, and they go back to where the wolf was, and you see Peter's footprints, you see the wolf's footprints, Peter's hat, and Peter's gun. So now they think that the wolf has taken Peter. Uh, and then they look up, and Peter and the cat have... Caught him. They didn't yeah, need the they hunters. they caught him with the rope, so they didn't need the hunters, so... They all kind of march back into town on a parade with the wolf tied up. Now, when I used to when I used to listen to my record that I had, this was a record I had that I listened to, not a tape, not anything like that, a needle and everything. Um, I remember that the bird was actually alive. The, the duck was had been eaten, but was alive inside the wolf, mm-hmm. and that there was kind of an indication that they were when they you know killed the wolf and cut him open that the duck was going to come out. But that's not the case here. No, here what happens. Uh, is we find out that the duck was hiding in a tree, or inside of a tree trunk the whole time. Sasha goes back and I think is mourning the duck still, and then we find that the duck is actually alive. So that's which the end is of, exciting. That's the end of that one. This, uh, like I said, is, is my favorite one. Because I think it does such, it feels very, not necessarily it would fit with Fantasia, but it feels in that same vein of like, let's introduce children to classical music. Let's introduce them. There's, there's a bit of, of, of learning at the beginning of associating a character with a not only a particular piece of music, but a specific instrument. So you're learning that one-to-one. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Um, I think for me, it being choppy kind of <laughs> takes yes. you in and out of it. And there was like buzzing and all these different things going on. But I am looking up. Was this the one that buzzed and you kept laughing at? Yeah. Every once in a while, just be like, buzz, and Tara would just go, just start laughing like, yeah. good lord. So it is performed with a narrator every time it's performed. Mm, okay. And uh, one version that I was looking up here um, has it with different actors playing each animal. So I think it depends how you see it. If mm. you see it in, I think, this is me going off assumption in the quick reading I've just done, if you were to see it in a classical, like, orchestral concert, I believe there's a narrator with the orchestra. But if you see it in more of, like, a children's theater, you're going to have actors playing each mm-hmm. animal along with the music. Mm-hmm. So I think there's lots of different versions and different ways 
that you could have seen this performed and continue to see it performed. I'm interested to hear that David Bowie one we kind of saw but skipped over. Yeah. Um, one thing, one uh, fairy tale fact I wanted to throw in here: the original Peter and the Wolf story. Uh, Peter is a young pioneer. The pioneers were a Soviet children's organization funded as a communist version of the Boy Scouts. <laughs> so I just thought that was interesting. Um, I'm gonna look up one more thing for you. Okay. The following pronunciation is brought to you by PronounceNames.com. <laughs> oh my god! I don't need any of that. Prokofiev. 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 So I think I was close. Prokofiev. So that's how you say it. Listeners, that's uh, we went back and figured out how to pronounce it. So there you go. Um, so th- the next one is After You've Gone, and this is the Benny Goodman Quartet. So Benny Goodman is featured twice, uh, once with his orchestra and once with um, a quartet, which he is actually playing clarinet on in this one. It's anthropomorphized instruments running around doing... Yeah, I don't have a lot for this. Just (laughs) instruments, dancing, and what I found interesting is the instrument they focus on the most is the clarinet, and that's the instrument Benny Goodman Mm -hmm. is known for playing. Uh, So I found that kind of interesting, and then there's this whole sequence with piano keys where at first it's fingers playing them, and then it turns into ladies' legs. So that was one... two ladies' legs dancing on these piano keys. Yeah. but other than that, I, that's really all the notes I have for this one. That's when I wrote a note that says this whole movie, like all the things, feels a, like a lot of girls in skirts. Yeah, like, I would even agree with even that. in the anthropomorphized instrument one, it was like, ooh, let's make sure we get some girls in skirts in this one. Yeah, which after the pretty girls, pretty girls yeah. from Three Caballeros, I'm a little creeped out by. Yeah. But for this one, you know, it was enjoyable. It's not one that I think I would look up and watch again, but it was reminiscent of Fantasia with the instruments and kind of the way that they were dancing and the way that they were animated to match the music. Of all the short ones, I think this is the one I would go see again. Just because it was, excuse me, just because it was fun and kind of yeah. quick and, and all that. But yeah, at the same time, just, yeah, there's not much to say about it. Yeah, it was good. It's a good it. song. Yeah. Check it out. <laughs> uh, so the next one, um, we're coming to the last two. Uh, is Johnny Fedora and Alice Bluebonnet. And when we first looked this one up, uh, it was like a crooner. It was like someone had decided to do their version of this song over, over the, the original animation. And yeah, we were it, like, we don't think this is quite right. I and thought it sounded like Johnny Mathis. So it should sound... This Was this the Andrew Sisters? So the Andrew Sisters are never mentioned specifically in the credits. I'm this wonder- was the Andrew Sisters, yeah. according to the Wikipedia. Because I was going right to say it, it was reminiscent of them, but, it, but def- it didn't it didn't give them credit like it did some of the other artists. If you find it and it doesn't sound like the Andrew Sisters, it's not it's the not correct the right audio. One. Yeah. So it opens on the Bunton shop, and it's a window of a department store, and you see these two hats on hat stands, and uh, it's basically. Johnny and Alice, Johnny Fedora and Alice Bluebonnet, and we kind of see them fall in love. Uh, And you see them kind of engaging with one another. And uh, Johnny is dreaming of a hat box for two, and then you see two baby bonnets, bonnets. one pink and one blue. Uh, And then Alice gets bought for $23.94. Yeah, that's part of the song. Yeah, that's part of the song. And so he's so sad as he watches her leave uh, in the hat box and kind of being walked out the window. And we see her eyes looking out of the hat box as she leaves. So you see her eyes as she leaves. And then Ryan kind of observed something with the animation on this one. The animation of the male hat is so expressive expressive and his eyes get big they even the one we saw had a thing at the beginning from i guess when this was shown on like the magical world of disney where uh walt is talking about how expressive they can be with just a hat but then 
the blue bonnet just has like those smoky eyes and just cries yeah, and, and winks. Yeah, you do see her and... tear. Yeah, but her. But the eyes her don't mouth move isn't when as emotive or expressive as his is. I mentioned that I thought the hat looked like a manta ray. Like hey, Johnny did. Yes, yes, Johnny does. He looks like he looks like Mr. Ray from uh, Finding Nemo. Oh yeah, the a little school bit. Kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the school teacher. Yeah, yeah, he does. So um, I didn't really notice that at first, but then when Ryan pointed it out, I did notice it later. So mm-hmm. I think there is a difference there. But I'll be honest, it wasn't something I observed right off the bat. Um, but it is kind of this sweet story, and then it's sad as he watches her leave. And he goes looking for Alice everywhere because he gets bought. So now he's on an owner's head and he comes in contact with the police hat, which was really funny. I, I like the way they framed the bits where he was on people's heads because it was like you could see the top of their head, but that was the bottom of the screen. So you didn't yeah, see. Yeah, and then you saw the sky and everything above the hat. And then what would like pop up into the frame. Mm-hmm. It, was, you would, it was a normal scene, but it was from a different perspective. And I thought that was one of the more artistically interesting things about this one. Yeah. And uh, the part I got a big kick out of is it says that he looked all the way from the Brooklyn Bridge to the Jersey Shore. Oh. And for listeners who don't know my background, I grew up on the Jersey Shore. So I was pretty excited she, to hear that. There was a vocal pop, guys. Like was She like, was oh, just really yeah. like, oh, yeah. And, I, and I, I, it went past me at first. So I was like looking visually to see. I was like, what did I miss? What did, and then I'm like, oh, they said Jersey. Yeah. And Which in my head, I kind of made fun of her a little bit for. But then I realized if anyone had said anything about Dallas, like. There's a there's a ZZ Top song where they're like Dallas Texas and every time they do it no matter where I am I'm like yeah like guns up yeah <laughs> so he winds up spotting her in a crowd as they're looking and uh it's this animation is so funny because he's like jumping off of the owner's head and the owner you just keep seeing the gloved hands of the owner trying to like fix the hat and turn it around right. and like keep it on his head and so eventually Johnny leaves his head and goes searching Well, it looks Alice. like the wind blows it off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But it's just him going, I'm out of here. Like, that's how they move, yeah. I guess. And then we see... Uh, well, he sees her. He sees her on a on Yes, a, yeah, on I mentioned trolley. he spots yeah. her. Yeah, he spots her. I don't think I said on the trolley yet, but yeah. he does spot her. Um, and that's why he's jumping off his head and, like, causing kind of a ruckus on this owner's head. And so then the wind picks him up and he winds up uh, landing at, like, a hobo's feet essentially i mean what is depicted we never see the hobo's face the hobo it's a hobo because he he is also picking up a discarded cigarette that's still lit yeah and then smokes it and is puffing smoke into johnny's face you see it coming up yeah yeah yeah, yeah, you see it from johnny's point of view so you never actually see the face of the person uh but then he goes into a bar and i don't know if he switched heads or if it's still the hobo who's in the bar because we don't really know i think it's still the hobo uh but then a bar fight ensues and johnny gets trampled on and he gets thrown out with the trash and then he gets kind of swept up so you kind of see him on this adventure he goes into the gutter in the water like he's had a real time of it a street sweeper runs him over and you think he's gonna go into the gutter yeah and then someone picks him up yeah and and cuts holes in him and you're like oh no but then you realize so yeah so he cuts holes in it and it gets fitted on a horse and uh they changed the seasons too which i thought was interesting it goes from the snow to spring as we're watching johnny like through all these Mm -hmm. different circumstances before he gets picked up so it's springtime and as he gets picked up and that holes are cut out to make room for the horse's ears johnny looks over and sees there's another horse and on that horse's head is alice the blue bonnet so they're reunited uh, and then these horses are kind of clopping in rhythm together, uh, and they kind of live happily ever after. Yeah. 
I thought this one was very sweet. Yeah, I really liked this one a lot. At the end, I'd like us to rank our top three. This is Ooh. in my top three. Yeah, probably. Um, so just, I would like to do that because we're getting close to the end. I know we have our other questions as well. But yeah, this is one I would say definitely check out. So we're at the end, finally. <laughs> or the finale. Yes, the finale. And this one has two titles. The Whale That Wanted to Sing at the Met is the original title. Uh, but it was a silly symphony, so it was released on its own, I believe. Ryan, I'll have to double check me on that. Uh, but it was Willie the Operatic Whale yes. when it was re-released. And that's how I know it, because I've seen that one before. I didn't know okay. it was part of Make Mine Music. Now, I've seen a lot of these before. I've even seen uh, Johnny Fedora and Alice Blue on it, but I just didn't really remember it. Mm. So it opens on a storm, and you see this lightning and things being swept up. And then there was a witch. Oh, yeah. Remember, it was very random that the witch, like, flies through this storm. So I said it was a witch from Bald Mountain. It's, I'm not being, like, metaphorical. It's literally a witch that flies by when they're all flying out of the graves. Yeah. I know that witch. Yeah, it was so, it was just interesting to see here. It was definitely a shout-out on the animator's part, I feel. Tonight on Bald Mountain, but also kind of Wizard of Oz. Like, it was just like. Well, and also the witch that I think is in another animation later that that witch that's around the pot uh with the huey dewey and louie i mean it, it was it wasn't like that animated yeah, yeah. it wasn't that detailed but um it just it's just it weird came by very quick it's just weird to me that maybe in that that time like the idea of a witch floating through wind was like shorthand for a storm i believe the wizard of oz is 1939 but i'll have ryan double check me here um, let me see. I'm pretending I already have this up, guys. Yes, she's right. 1939. <laughs> uh, I thought so. Uh, this so, is facts in history when I'm um, in sessions with residents. So sometimes the years pop into my brain, uh, but I never want to uh, misrepresent. So I like the double check. I'm going to brag on my wife for a little bit for a second. Um, whenever we do any sort of trivia night, uh, going into it, Tara is just so down on herself and talking about how I think she, she thinks she's not as good at trivia as other people. And there's always something she knows that <laughs> nobody else at the table was anywhere close all the time. She's just like, I don't know anything. And she comes, she's like 1939 was, you know, or something like that. Yeah, and I'm just like, oh, and okay. It's usually from my work. Uh, <laughs> and it's just what stays in my brain afterwards. Uh, but going back to the whale, after we see this storm, uh, it opens up to a mystery voice singing at sea. So we're seeing headlines. We're seeing newspaper headlines. I'd love to get the headlines again. They're great headlines. Yeah, what is mystery voice singing at sea? And I'll be honest, Whale Sings is another one. I did not write them all down. They start getting, like, uh, what's it called when you have the uh, alliterative, I think is the word? Yeah, there's one about the sailors or the seamen see. Melodious Mammal is the one I remember. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of them. And so you're seeing all these townspeople um, or in this city, I, I don't really, you don't see enough detail to know, uh, but they're reading all these newspaper headlines and it flashes to doctors and experts that argued it was near impossible. Did you see the one doctor who was like showing a picture of the fish and then they had the same face? Or like, yes, that yeah. was my favorite. <laughs> and then the impensario of the opera comes in and he thinks he knows everything. Tetty Totti? I think so. Yeah. He's discovered lots of different opera singers, um, and different performers along the way. And so he believes that the whale has swallowed an opera singer and he's determined that he's going to find and save this opera singer that's inside mm-hmm. the whale. And so Whitey the seagull comes in. I forgot I, that was yeah, his name. And he sees the article about how the 
he sees that that Teddy Toddy is looking for yes, Willie. Yes, is looking for the famous, this whale, and what he perceives is a famous opera singer inside the whale. And so the bird flies all the way to Willie and uh, shows him that he's very famous. And we open to the scene of Willie on singing shortening bread, and he's singing to all the other animals, the seals and the seagulls. The and... seals look so happy. Yeah, I love it. So good. And so uh, after reading the newspaper that the seagull has, he's determined. He's like, oh, my gosh, this is my big audition. What am I going to sing? And so he swims uh, all the way to where uh, they are hunting, searching for him. And he sings Figaro. And I associate Figaro with Mrs. Doubtfire because it is the opening when Robin Williams is doing the voices of animation. Uh, He's singing Figaro. So that always flashes in my head when I hear it. Uh, But he's singing it and... Folks, uh, when I think of Figaro, I think of the actual opera. Oh, of which... course, yes. Uh, and so, basically, the impensario, he wants to shoot the whale right away, and the sailors love his music. At first, the sailors are going to try to shoot him with a harpoon, and then they are just so, like, smitten and taken away by this whale that they stop him several times from mm-hmm. shooting the whale. And uh, he then... It's hard to tell, is he daydreaming or does he really become successful? But all of a sudden, we see the whale in the Met performing on stage. Now, one thing we see before that is not only is this an operatic whale, but he has three uvulas that yes. each let him sing and in different... one is a baritone, one is a tenor, and one and is a bass. bass. <laughs> uh, and so he showcases each one of those in the water, and then you see them as well when he's in the opera house, when he's in the Met. He is singing... What's the first thing he's singing? I don't think I wrote down any of the things he's singing. He's singing um, very famous operatic yes. performances. So if you are one for the opera, I am not versed in a lot of opera, but they are very famous excerpts from different well the first one he does i know he's kind of they're just playing with his size and the idea of him being in the met and him like when he bends over to bow and he's like bowing over the entire audience and the seals and the sailors are all in opera boxes and they're so into what he's doing but then he ends up doing pagliacci which i believe is the the clown one yes yeah he does the clown one the crying clown the crying clown and i think he does one after that he does uh Something where he's a Viking and there's like a Valkyrie woman and he's singing to her. And I, I very much remember that scene where she's like up against his mouth and you can, it's and like you can see his uvula voice, scene. And yeah. she's like, <laughs> like, I remember that very specifically. Yeah. I don't know why. And so I had never seen this one. And so I was like, I was going back and forth. Is he imagining this? Is Did he really make it to the mat? And I was so excited. I was like, he really made it to the mat. That's so cool. And then we go back to the water well, well, they they lead you there because he's Mephistopheles for a second. He's the yes. devil in one, yeah, and he's like, like hitting the real low bass, the bass note. notes, and then it dissolves, like you said, back to the guy at the harpoon, and it looks horrifying. Yeah, and it's so sad. And he shoots the harpoon, and he does in fact kill kill Willie. But they talk about Not free Willie. No, yes, kills Willie. They talk about. Uh, the narrator says, you know, miracles never die. And so Willie is still singing wherever sea creatures go, whatever heaven they belong to, Willie is still singing up there. And then you cut to Willie, uh, and now he's in hues of, like, pinks and, you know, mm-hmm. he's different colors up in the sky singing. And he's got wings. Uh, and he's got wings as well. And the thing I was saving for the end that I wanted to mention, I highly encourage everyone to watch this for this specific reason. I mean, I think for many reasons, I loved this one. But for this reason in particular, this one 
all of the operatic vocals, the bass through the soprano and the chorus, are all sung by one individual named Nelson Eddy. And we think all just the spoken word. Yeah, I didn't get the note on if he also did the spoken word, but I would assume he did. It sounded all like it. I don't know that for a fact, but I do know that all of the, the vocalizations that were sung were him. And it is really phenomenal to hear all that. And when it's the chorus, how he put the voices together, he tinkered with his father's home recording equipment. So he put it together. Wow. Is what I read anyway. Uh, And then I went on a deep dive because I wanted to know more about Nelson Eddy because I was like, this is a pretty big talent to be able to perform all of those voices in those different ranges. And so he was in 19 musical films throughout the 1930s and the 1940s. And he's one of the first crossover stars. So he appealed to both the Bobby Soxers and the opera purists. So that's two very different styles of music that um, he crossed over into. And they say in his heyday, he was the highest paid singer in the world. So at one point, he was making the most money for what he was doing. Uh, He had a 40-year career. He has stars on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. He has three of them for film, radio, and recording. His footprints are are at the Chinese Theater. Uh, He had three gold records. And he sang at the third inauguration of FDR. It was really interesting to go down a rabbit hole about him because he had such a rich career and was so talented, not only in his operatic singing, uh, but in other performances and musicals and things like that. And when you go into viewing this one with knowing that he does all the voices, and the credits say that at the beginning, he does all the voices. But to really keep that in mind, uh, it's really impressive. And so I just wanted to make sure to give him credit on that so to give nelson eddie credit i i assume we both like this one yes are you ready to give your top three yes my top three are the whale this one is number one okay go from the back front so oh, i mean okay. we've already yeah. well i guess i've spoiled it and i've told you my number one so my number one is the whale number two is uh johnny fedora and alice blue bonnet and number three is the martins and coys really mm-hmm Peter and the Wolf not on that? Nope. You didn't like Peter and the Wolf? I thought it was too long. <laughs> oh, really? And like I said, I think I need to view it without all the choppiness and without all the weird angles and without all the additional sounds. But it took me out of the experience so many times that like I, if you had told me like what ones are in this, I wouldn't remember that Peter and the Wolf was in this. Oh, uh, okay. Well, I like Peter and the Wolf. Uh, no. Yeah, Peter and the Wolf was my number one. And then I got to go with the whale as number two. And then the... Johnny Fedora and Alice Bluebonnet is a surprising number three. I thought it was going to be Casey at the Bat. Well, and the reason I chose the Hatfields and the McCoys story as number three is I was pleasantly surprised at how delighted I was by it. I yes. laughed at it. I thought it was silly. Um, even if it is inappropriate, it was one that I enjoyed more than I thought I was going to enjoy. It was which appropriate is, for us. But it was it's why it made it to number three for me, because I think it was so surprising on how much I enjoyed it. There are things I've seen on other Disney stuff that I think I cringed more at than than, than Martins and Coys. I don't think I really cringed. And, like us talking about it, yes, I identified things. But while I was watching it, I didn't really have a cringe feeling right. on it. So. All right. So our questions, which mm-hmm. aren't going to really apply. Yes. How was the princess? How did you like a lot of the protagonists in this? I liked Willie the Whale. Yeah, Willie the Whale was great. Um, I guess Alice Blue Bonnet. I think that's a prince. I think she's a a love interest. 
Oh, so he's the prince. Yeah, because it is more focused on Johnny Fedora. I guess that's true. Yeah, I guess it's kind of hard to pick them out individually. Um, well, then let's talk a little bit about villains because I have a couple of villains in, in mind that I think are solid villains. And one is well, the, the wolf. wolf. The wolf is very scary. A scary, I would solid agree villain. with that. And the... Impresario. Yeah, he was also very intense. <laughs> Both who I could see in Villainous. I, I would love too, to see yeah. <laughs> both of those guys are villains. Don't think we'll ever see them. No, I, there are many other villains I'd like before there's, them. There's another wolf. I think the big bad wolf will be in Villainous long before the mm. wolf from Peter and the Wolf. Yeah. But so they'll be there. Well, let's skip to the kind of the bigger questions. The how does it hold up? Obviously, there's a lot of gunplay in the first one that I didn't like because it was directed at other people. It wasn't. It yeah, was I comic. mean, they killed each other. Yes. It, it was very clear. There was no mistaking that. Um, even though it wasn't very detailed, it was all smoke. So when mm-hmm. they started shooting at one another, the whole screen was smoke. But then as the smoke cleared, everything was charred and they were floating up as ghosts. So it was very clear, like, what happened yeah. to them. The gunplay in Peter and the Wolf didn't bother me. No. And then um, as far as female agency, I know that's a separate question. But, yeah, there were issues, I think, in almost all of them. I think every woman in this was prescri- per- portrayed as a skirt. Just yeah. like it felt like it was like they're, they they were window dressing the whole time. Literally, one of them was window dressing. She was a hat in a yeah. department store. Yeah, window. I think the one where it depicted it the best was the Bobby Soxers one, which yeah. got the most criticism about the silhouette um, of her in and out of the shower. But for me, I think that there were some issues with that one, but there were less issues than with the others. Absolutely. Um, and we kind of highlighted that as we talked about each one as well. Um. All right, so here's a big question. Do you put it up on the shelf or do you lock it away in the vault so no one can see it, Tara? As a whole, <laughs> no, I don't put it on the shelf. I completely agree with uh, you. I think I, I like the idea of putting them up individually. I think the whale one is so delightful. It is sad that he dies at the end, but I just, I really gravitated to that one quite a bit. At I think the end, putting, and it's the end of the whole thing. Yeah, it's, it's, that's yeah, the it says note the you end go end off on. At, well, I mean, he's at least singing again in heaven, yeah. but yes. Uh, but, yeah, Peter and the Wolf, I think, you know, listeners probably will disagree with me that I didn't include Peter and the Wolf and may be shocked that I didn't include it in my three. Uh, but I do agree that it should be on its own on Disney+. Plus. Mm-hmm. If, if none of the others are, Peter and the Wolf definitely should be. Uh, I, th- but I think I the think whale, the one, whale should be one should be as well. I think Johnny uh, Fedora would be a cute one to mm-hmm. have up on Disney+, Plus as well. And um, you liked the, the Martins and the Koi's, but... You I don't, don't, yeah, I don't think that one should I'm be I'm okay with it not plus. being up yeah. there either. I'm fine with that one not being on there, but I think at least, what, are those three or four? Those are three. three. Yeah, so the three that you and the, and named. The, and the little short ones. Like, that's the thing is I feel like putting this stuff up there is similar to what they did on the Disney Channel, which is we, we have, we don't have as many commercials. We're not programming stuff for time, so we have weird slots in between things. Why not just put them up there so a kid can just put it on repeat or have like a collection? They do collections on there. They have weird collections like the Darth Vader collection. Why would you just watch certain movies out of the Star Wars things because you like Darth Vader? It's weird. But why not have a collection that you go and it's Silly Symphonies or a bunch of those and it just plays them in a row and it gets them, you know, like at Netflix when it starts trying to play something else. But this is curated stuff. To all of those, And yeah. those can all just be up there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that idea as well. So Disney, if you're listening. Yeah, I know they do. Hey, hey, yeah. Bob Iger, listen, uh-huh. listen up. This is our idea. But yeah, I think, you know, individually, I think there were some we liked more than others, but I think as a whole, this is not one I would put on the shelf. Uh, well, guys, thank you for coming on this strange, strange journey with us. Yeah, um, next up is Found and Fancy, Found and Fancy Free. Free, which we're both very excited about.
the return of one of our favorite characters on the show, Jiminy Cricket. Yes. So we'll see you next time, guys. Thanks for listening to Tara and Ryan's Princess Diaries. If you want to tell us your favorite Disney villain and why it's guest on, send us an email at trprincessdiaries at gmail.com. Or you can send a tweet about how great Maleficent is, too, at TRP Diaries. Check out our Facebook group by searching for Tara and Ryan's Princess Diaries. Tara and Ryan's Princess Diaries are available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, and many more. Wherever you hear us, please be our knight in shining armor and give us a five-star review. Thanks again, and until next time, remember to always live happily ever after. Bye.